No, thanks for having me on, Anthony. It's um, yeah, been pretty hot and muggy up here at the Gold Coast and plenty of people up here, but yeah, hopefully I can add a few little insights for your for your uh, listeners today. Yeah, no, we'd, we'd love to pick your brains. So typically for you as a bloodstock agent, when does your prep start for Magic Millions? Would you go out and visit a lot, uh, visit a lot of the farms and pre-inspect the yearlings before you, you see them on the Gold Coast for this sale in particular? <clears throat> um, yeah, typically I think a lot of the agents and trainers try to get out on, on farm as much as possible, um, particularly as the, these sales seem to be getting bigger and bigger. So this year with the you know 1,029 horses in book one, it's it's pretty much physically impossible to look at every horse here on the sales complex. Uh, personally, I, I I do some sales, uh, some farm inspections, but I tend to focus on horses here for Australia and Asia, and and temperament's been a big thing for me, and so I prefer to look at them here at the sales complex. But obviously that means I can't look at every horse, so. I do a bit of pedigree analysis, cut my list down to the ones that you know I'm interested in looking at or clients are interested in and, and keen on buying. And then I get here to the sales complex and it, a good day you can probably do about 130 to 150 horses. Okay. Um, so it, it's pretty full on. There's a lot of standing, you know, watching them roll out. Um, some big drafts, whether it's Coolmore or Arrowfield and things. You know, it, it, it can, for the untrained eye, it can get a bit of, you know, another bay horse, another bay horse mm. broken up by the odd chestnut horse. But there's just those little intricate differences in, in each physical horse that I guess, yeah, people are, are, are targeting, which has worked for them. Um, and ultimately, when they get into the, the sale ring, yeah, those little differences can yeah, can be the difference between a horse making 150000 and and as yesterday, you know, making a million dollars. So when you say you're looking at horses and, 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 and the temperament's very important for you and just for our listeners that perhaps haven't been to the sales, what you mean by that is when you're at the sales and, and often everyone's looking at the same horses, right? So they're dragged out of their yep. boxes throughout the afternoon. What you're looking at is how the horses handle that throughout the whole sales process over the few days that they're there, correct? Correct, yeah. And I, I think over a, a long period of time and, and the, the market's probably focused in on those horses that can handle a sales preparation you know and and be pulled out of their box again and again and again and are, and are coping with it well um and probably a, a prime example of that yesterday was the the king's legacy cult that james harron mm-hmm. bought for seven hundred and seventy-five thousand. i think a lot of people turned up at the sale thinking you know that was a horse that could fit into everyone's budget he might make one hundred and fifty thousand, or you know even even he might make less than that. You know, the, the stallion stands for $50,000. He was a, you know, multiple group one winner, but that horse might fit in everyone's budget. So everyone went and looked at him and he was such a nice horse. Everyone went and looked at him two times and then a lot of people looked at him three times. So talking to Mike from Beamer, um, he said he was the most paraded horse he's ever had at a sale. Wow. Um, and just for a horse to be able to cope with that multiple times, as a buyer and particularly those two-year-old buyers, that's what they're looking for. You know, a horse that can cope with a stressful situation like that, being pulled out of his box and, you know, and have the same parade the first time as he had the 300th time. Yep. Um, and they're the ones that, I guess, seem to be able to cope with a two-year-old preparation and, you know, get to, you know, the big two-year-old race in 12 months' time. Yeah. In terms of... Um 
the horses you're looking at and you're you're buying on behalf of your clients, how many would be on your short list as a rule, and then what would you whittle that down to, Pete? I think like for this sale, we I, I looked at just a touch over 400, mm-hmm. um, and we whittled that down to 60, and then looked at them a, a second time, and I think that got that the, the hard thing with this sale. There's so many nice horses. And it's hard to put a pen through a few. So we ended up, I think, with 45 horses that we sent through to the vet to check. Um, and so far, they've been, there haven't been many that have come off that list, a couple. Okay. You know? So there's, there's probably about 35 to 40 that we're going to try to bid on. I think there was four yesterday we tried to bid on. Didn't get close to three of them. Um, just sold quite well. And then one, we were the direct underbidder. I just didn't have enough on it. So... Um, you know, plenty more to come the, the, the coming days. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the process in looking at them, looking at them a second time, getting the vet to check them, yeah, you know, possibly looking at them in the back ring before they come through, just to make sure you, you're really confident if that's the one you want. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a fun process, but it does take a bit of time. And would most of your clients give you a budget and free reign, Pete, or are they more specific in terms of sex, expected distance range, uh, whether the horse will race locally? Because I know a lot of your work is uh, with exported horses, that sort of thing. Yep. Um, it, it really depends, but I would prefer the client be very specific about okay. what they want. You know, if you want a, a two-year-old to get up and run at this sale of this race next year, then that's a particular horse that I'll go out and search to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in, um, if they've got time, they're potentially looking at a horse to race and breed with like a filly, then you can probably be more forgiving. You know, a, a horse that might not have the big strength at this time of year, you know, an October, November foal that needs time, they can be a bit more valued in this market, but you need to have patience. So if their budget's limited and they've got patience, you you can be a bit more forgiving. Okay. Um, whereas in if they say, no, I want to win the Magic Millions two-year-old, uh, well, you can see probably from the, the, the prices of a number of those more favoured runners um, heading into the race this Saturday, you, you've got to pay for it or you know, and have be pretty strong in the the auction ring because there's a lot of people chasing that same horse. Mm. And, and talking about forgiving and what you mean by that is um, to just educate our listeners a little bit is obviously physically looking at the attributes of the horse and you can overlook certain certain faults. We hear so many cliches thrown about this this time of year. So for a horse that, for example, you've got a client that wants to win the Magic Millions in 2025, when you're physically looking at the horse, what attributes are you looking for? Uh, yeah, I guess the, the bone structure is very important, particularly front legs uh, on colts. I've found over, over the years that, yeah, to, to stand up to, you know, good tracks um, and uh, early runner putting pressure on that bone, they've got to have very good bone structure, so very straight and, and flat through their knees, not offset, so not at a, a different angle than they're supposed to be. Um, um, and then, yeah, just having good muscle structure, um, good nostrils, you know, it, um, and the vet will check their throat as well just to make sure the throat's got good structure to yeah. it, getting plenty of oxygen. Um, the, the ones that have, you know, little blemishes, you know, schnitzel's known as throwing uh, horses that can be a little bit what they call offset at the knees, so the knee's just at a s- 
slightly different angle than what it should be. And that, that can put extra pressure on the inside splint bone of the horse. But that seems that doesn't seem to stop them. You know, there's plenty of good horses. You know, Russian Revolution's probably a, a, a good example of a, a colt. He was a bit offset in his knees and had splints as a yearling, but he was such a big, strong horse, he was able to run through it. Um, but he was one, I think, who I think he made two hundred and fifty thousand dollars as a yearling. You know, if he was absolutely correct through his knees, he was probably a five hundred thousand to a million dollar colt. So some people, if if you're willing to be, what I say, forgiving of a few minor faults, you you deeper. Uh, you're just taking a, a a more of a risk, um, and that's probably what it gets down to is what level of risk you're willing to take, and that that can depend on your on your budget. And then what would be some of your absolute red flags where you just look at a horse and go, no pen. Uh, well, I mean, I sort of, guess, cut my teeth buying horses to go up to racing jurisdictions like Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, and their tracks are very hard. Mm. So a horse that's upright and it's Pastons um, doesn't seem to work up there. They, they put a lot of pressure. Pastons, uh, sort of, a, I guess, an, an, an look for a human, the ankle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when they're training on the tracks and the, the, all the roads around the the two of the train tracks are generally, you know, there is rubber, but there's a lot of sand or it's pretty hard on concrete, etc. That concussion on them galloping just puts so much pressure on the fetlock joint and the knees um, that it can cause trouble. So that's a red flag for me. You, you can you can possibly manage that uh, in, in Australia. Um, and, and probably a horse that I, comes to mind with me is Lofty Strike. Mm-hmm. Is, is he was a very well-bred colt. Um, but he was quite upright in his pastons and had very little flexion in his pastons. So he made you know, a, a discount. I think when he's been vetted a few times, the, the vets haven't liked his action, but that's just him. Um, he, he doesn't have much flexion in his, his pastons when he walks, but obviously the guys there, Julius Sandu, etc., have been able to manage him and, and get him to a very high level. And you can do that in Australia. That's a red flag for me if you know if you're sending them up to up to Asia where you, you don't have that ability to put them out in the paddock or um, give them a bit more time and yeah yep. care when they need it. Very interesting insight. Thanks so much for your time. We better keep moving, Pete. But best of luck uh, over the next few days or next week or so up there, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks again for your time. Awesome. Thanks, Anthony. Best of luck to all the listeners.